Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. Welcome to Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. Another week in captivity, which we're going to get to, actually. We saw a good movie this week involving captivity. Uh, We'll we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, But uh, we really want to get into heavy-duty legal issues uh, this week. General Flynn goes free, probably. Mm -hmm. Not quite a done deal. Judge has to bless it, but it's a no-brainer, let's face it. Tara Reid refuses to go away. Still a thorn in the side of Joe Biden in his basement. Supreme Court made history this week, Connor, with the... uh, remote oral argument and we're going to talk about snitching on quarantine breakers that's that's a harsh loaded word but we're going to get into that issue but before we do uh, i mentioned uh, captivity john goodman made a wonderful film called captive state that we saw this week i don't think many people heard about it because it didn't make much money no but it, it was really excellent kind of a sci-fi futuristic thing yeah kind of district nine kind of half-life uh different uh, dystopian future ruled by aliens And the human resistance is underground. We also saw The In-Laws, a fabulous 70s-era film. If you like Alan Arkin in The Kaminsky Method with Michael Douglas, you're going to love seeing him in The In-Laws. He's so young. Yeah. In between, I guess, would be Little Miss Sunshine when he played Grandpa. And Gross Point Blank. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Fabulous. Uh, Not a huge part in that movie, but but he was wonderful. So that's been keeping us busy uh, in the evenings. Our our trusty, loyal dog, Faust, uh, the Great Dane, is here. I was thinking, Connor, about the fact that we now, a little looser doing these uh, podcasts, where we allow the dog into the into the, the podcast studio area before we'd keep him on he'd scratch on the door and he'd, he'd ruin the whole broadcast we'd just have to throw the throw the tape out and start mm-hmm. over yeah but i was thinking about the old days with kbc radio when i uh, was filling in for people like eric larry elder and michael jackson and and dennis prager and i would uh, be in the studio either getting ready to go on um or uh, right after my shift Eric Tracy co-hosted on KBC with Ken Minyard, and he always had his dog. He had a he had a beautiful Labrador. Uh, Eric Tracy did in the studio. And I always used to just worry, it being kind of a panicky. You know, the glasses. Yeah, dog starts to bark. What, what if he do? starts to bark? What if he takes a dump all over the studio? That is a problem that I think radio solves because in the same way that you have a face for radio, uh, dog yeah, poop has a you. scent for radio. And I so there'd be no if problem. That would help. What if he had got some bad kibble last night? That would suddenly, be bad. Yeah. Uh, it, could, it could end up making some noise. But it never happened. Eric never had a disaster. So, uh, it was a was, well-behaved dog. Yeah, I was happy about that. So uh, we watched uh, Seinfeld's, Jerry Seinfeld's new Netflix show called uh, 23 Hours to Go. Uh, pretty good. To kill, 23 Hours to Kill. Oh, is that it? Okay. So yeah, he, he, actually, one of the last live shows that anybody right. did, I think it right. was in early March, he did it in New York City. 
Uh, and it, it was he did a great show. He's, I, I've seen bits and pieces of of his concert in, in other settings. Uh, he's always marvelous. But he was in the news this week, Connor, because uh, his big hit show, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, uh, was sued. Uh, if you're not familiar with the show, every episode Jerry shows up in a vintage car to pick up a pal like Eddie Murphy or Steve Martin or Barack Obama. Then off they go to a restaurant and they chat to the delight of gawking diners and millions of viewers. It was a big hit which stuck in the craw of Christian Charles who claimed he came up with the concept for the show but then he was fired. So he sued but this week the uh, Court of Appeals said Sorry, Charlie, uh, uh, this, uh, you blew it. Uh, the statute of limitations required that you sue, I think, within three years. He didn't, so he lost. And, wow. And Jerry won. On a technicality. Now, now to this the Supreme guy, Court. Charles, worked for Jerry Seinfeld. He did, and allegedly assisted in and maybe even was the brains behind the idea of comedians in cars getting this coffee. This is kind of a thorny legal issue because uh, it comes up a lot. Um, when when people are creating things that become intellectual property uh, on that are that are going to be owned by their boss or the company they're working for mm-hmm. or otherwise, it really matters what their contract says. It matters if if you're a photographer and you're taking photos. If it really matters if that contract that you sign um, or the employer signs or both that you know forms the the basis of this relationship between you two people or companies says that this is a work made for hire. Or not. If it doesn't say work made for hire, it's a completely different thing. Right. A work made for hire is something that is going to become the intellectual property of the entity or person who hired you to make that thing. Yeah, well, what, do you, what are the chances a comedian's going to sign a contract? There's <laughs> well, that's no contract the in comedy. It's, that's the problem. Is Hollywood sometimes? Jerry Seinfeld are, doesn't sign contracts. Yeah, that was the worst impression. No, that was of really Jerry. good. Yeah, that was really it was, good. Let's uh, give it a C. And it, when Jerry maybe Sein- a C plus. When Jerry Seinfeld comes knocking and says, "Hey, I want to make a web series. Let's talk about ideas." Do you say ah, I got to lock down a contract first? Maybe not. And maybe that's why it's so valuable to have an agent who is always yep. your representative and go between because sure. they can have no shame in saying, "Gosh darn it, everything he makes is going to be his own. He's going to, you know, take it with him when he leaves and make sure these terms are all laid out and, and figured out." Because if not, eh, Hollywood no, deals right. get made. You know. So Hands speaking shake, speaking of comedy, it. I'm continuing with my Dick Cavett obsession. I'm, I'm on his second book now of his columns that he wrote for the New York Times. They were online columns around 2008. To, 2014, I guess he ran out of gas, I don't know. But he had a great line that I thought was great, but Connor, off the air, you and I were kind of disagreeing. He was quoting a, a joke written by Woody Allen. I'm not even going to try to impersonate. Some people you can do. You yeah, can do Jack yeah. Nicholson. But Woody Allen's too hard. Woody Allen is too hard. you got to get it right or you sound no, like a No, you just can't moron. do it. No. Mm, well, that I gotta bad. work on it. That uh, was better than mm. my attempt to do Jerry Seinfeld. Here's the joke by Woody Allen. He said, you just can't disprove the existence of God. You just have to take it on faith. Now, I thought that was a really clever joke. I'm reading the book by Dick Cavett. Yeah, I, I take good. Connor aside this week and I say, hey, Connor, you're, you're interested in this subject. Let me lay this joke on you. It was just fell flat. Your attitude it wasn't was, a you know, I'm just not impressed. I don't think that it goes into the deep philosophical uh, issues involving uh, well, Gnosticism okay. and agnosticism. That, and that joke, like, it, that joke is funny because Woody Allen doesn't care about philosophy, right? Oh, how do you Plato, know? Woody Allen, uh, of all comedians, well, might be it, one of the most philosophical comedians you'd run across. No, but this proves that he's never read any Certainly had enough angst in his life. <laughs> he's never read any philosopher yeah. who thought about the 
proving or disproving oh, you're the existence get a letter from Woody of God. Allen. Woody obviously hasn't because it's like it, 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 he's 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 making a, a funny, cute observation based on like when you walk into your first year philosophy class, the All first right, one okay. you've ever taken. The professor says, "This is the thing. Sometimes it's hard to disprove a negative. Right. So how do we do that? Well, let's use a logical proof that tries to do it. Uh, it doesn't really work, does it? So you kind of come at it from a different <laughs> angle. You can't do it. Gunner, it's just a joke. We'll come though. back. Ne- we'll come back next week and talk about it but like this joke the basis of this joke is like Woody Allen saying I'm going to come up with something funny and thoughtful that no one else has ever come up with what if it's hard to disprove a negative and every logic professor ever is like yeah I mean you know here's the problem yeah it's like it's like you're a cancer doctor and you hear somebody make a cancer joke which I can't think of one offhand good but but and, and you object to it because because you're a cancer not everybody's a cancer I doctor I don't part. object to it because it's a cancer joke I don't object to it I, I just object it, it would be like as though somebody came up and said uh, cancer's tough because sometimes your cell, cells mutate and then attack your body Okay, and I, somebody I, who doesn't even know what cancer is I, like. Oh, I, I get guess your you're point. right. That is funny. So it's okay. It's okay <laughs> to have a high high standard. Let me lay another Dick Cavett okay, joke on okay, you. Okay. See what you think. Sorry for being a. Stick he said in the this mind. guy, this zookeeper, this zookeeper was so stupid. He took the bars down. He tried to run the place on the honor system. We don't see, have. We don't have a rim see, shot. That's funny. Available. Yeah, we need a rim shot. We need. Oh, so that's be- shot in here. That's better than the Woody Allen. Yes, joke? that's much better. That's okay. fa- that's dumb, but it's funny dumb. So I was thinking before we get to our first serious topic of General Flynn, I was thinking how nice it is that our podcasts drop every Wednesday at ten a.m. because that's Hump Day. Mm. That's the lowest point of the week. I don't know if people feel the same way in COVID. Yeah. We're not even at their office, right. but ten a.m. Wednesday is about as bad as it gets. I mean. So far away from the the promised land of Friday, even Thursday is referred to as Friday adjacent. Right, you're oh, almost there. Yeah, and of course the weekend. And whenever you, know, you have a three day weekend with a Friday off, then Thursday is the new Friday. Yeah. So Wednesday is the nadir of existence, and here Absolutely. we drop 10 a.m. Pacific time Wednesdays, and we just bring everybody back up. Yeah, uh, I hope. Let's talk, General Flynn. You're welcome, the world. So, uh, General Flynn, um, they're going to drop the charges. The prosecution has filed a motion to dismiss. The judge has to rule on it, but it's it's pretty much a no-brainer. Right. What I thought, Connor, was so interesting was the contrast in the editorials by the Wall Street Journal, right of center, and the New York Times, left of center. I'm going to read you the exact wording, the titles of the editorials mm-hmm. the day after Flynn mm-hmm. uh, found out he was uh, they were going to drop the charges. Wall Street Journal, quote, the vindication of Michael Flynn, end quote. Now we move, slide to the left to the New York Times, open quote, don't forget, period, he pleaded guilty, period, twice, period. Now, that's a study in contrast, wouldn't you say? We're talking the same news event, and yet these two uh, very Well, they are op-ed pages, op-eds always come from one side. Well, the editorial page, that's that's a little inside baseball thing that nobody cares about, but I'll lay it on you anyway. Op-ed stands for opposite editorial, meaning the page opposite the editorial page. So the columnists are on the, quote, op-ed page, opposite. But the actual editorial page isn't opposite the editorial page. It is the editorial page. Now, how's that for totally worthless, arcane journalism? That's very interesting. So anyway, I mean, isn't that kind of crazy, though, that the two that, like, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, those are the two nationally oriented, even though it says New York Times, everybody knows it's the paper of record. I mean, talk about total opposites in terms of their approach. Yeah. 
But I think, you know, a lot of people think, well, it's just uh, William Barr is the handmaiden of the president. And, right. But, okay, so here's the official reason for dropping the, mm-hmm. uh, the charge against, uh, against this guy. Yes, he lied. But the lie had nothing to do with the core of the investigation, that is, whether Trump or his campaign colluded with Russia. His lie was, oh, you want me to tell you what uh, I said to the Ruski in our wiretapped conversation? Well, I said A, B, and C. Well, the FBI knew that that was a lie because they'd already read the transcript of the conversation, and they knew he said D, E, and F. So, boom, perjury trap, they caught him. There was actually no legitimate reason to be questioning him because, after all, they knew from the transcript, oh, he's not going to help us on the collusion thing, and that's all we're really caring about. So that's the official reason for dropping it. But let's face it, the real reason is the embarrassing documents, the ones that showed uh, we're going to get him to lie so we can prosecute or get him fired. Uh, it's uh, you know The fact of the matter is, whether it was William Barr carrying out Trump's wishes or not, it really was a situation where there's no real point to continue to put the guy through it. And the boy, the tactics they used, threatening to prosecute his son. Now, in fairness, I don't even know what they thought they had on the son. On the son, yeah. But this guy spent $4 million bucks on legal fees. He's basically ruined financially. Now, maybe he'll go out on the lecture circuit and he'll be just fine. But it's been a pretty tough three years. And the idea of some pretty biased people being behind the prosecution, it's kind so of hard to take. This is an interesting uh, legal concept. Uh, it's, it, I'm glad it came up because uh, you, you get what what people call perjury traps. Mm-hmm. And that's been in the news. I think probably Donald Trump tweeted the word perjury trap as though they are a panacea and solve Flynn's problems. And turns out looks like they did because he controls William Barr uh, like his handmaiden. But a perjury trap is a legal uh, not an official legal term. It's, it's just used by people to describe a certain type of prosecutorial, that is by a prosecutor, a, a you know, member of law enforcement, uh, misconduct by a, a prosecutor. And the, what, what a good, the best of the categorical example would be to call somebody to testify uh, about a crime that has run the statute of limitations. If a crime has run the statute of limitations, right, there's no point in having them testify. But if they come in and then they lie about the crime and they say, oh, no, I didn't do that crime, even though they're, they're scot-free, they're home-free, they made right. it. All they had to do was run out the clock. They did. They ran out the clock, just like Jerry Seinfeld ran out the clock on his lawsuit, right? But, but with respect to a crime. Um, they run out the clock and then they lie. Then, boom, you've got a new crime. The new crime being lying in, while testifying. That's called perjury. So it, you're setting a trap for somebody who is, you know is innocent. This person, whether or not they committed that crime or not, the time has run, so you've got no reason uh, to get them. And you set a trap for them to testify and lie under oath. This is kind of textbook prosecutorial misconduct. It's overreach by a prosecutor. Now, in this case, applying it to Flynn, there's no... The the specific set of scenarios in that example don't apply. It's not like uh, he had uh, run out his his timer on a a crime and he was innocent, right? It's just that they didn't think he was going to be that helpful or relevant because they had a transcript and they didn't think that, you know, that transcript revealed anything that was specifically and explicitly untoward that he'd done wrong. But is not the same as him being completely scot-free by law, well, obviously. Plus, like he, what if he walked in and contradicted the, the transcript in another way by expanding on it and saying, oh, yeah, well, when I was talking about uh, orphanages, rough Russian orphanage adoption, we all know that's code for sanctions, and that's what I was doing is I was talking to them about sanctions. 
it, that would have shown new, new light on the transcripts. And in fact, Russian orphanage discussions and orphan adoption discussions are literally a code used by Russian well, operatives right. to it, talk to U.S. It, operatives. It can get murky. About, uh, and then there's the other aspect of it is you can complain about a perjury trap, which I understand, and I, I think here he, he was a victim. On the other hand, inherently you're talking about somebody who broke the law, who committed yeah. a felony, yeah. who did commit perjury. Right. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the woman who just won't go away, Tara Reid, and the Joe Biden controversy. Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. We're back on Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So Joe Biden campaigning from his basement. You'd think that they would get their act together technologically. Fox News every week or so gleefully runs the, the actual video released by the Democrats. I mean, they can't get the sound right. It doesn't look good. Why can't they get him outside? I know you're not supposed to you know, mingle and so on, right. but w- this guy's going to be the Democratic nominee. Why can't they put him in a more favorable light? You You'd wouldn't think. think it would be that hard. Yeah, But it's hard to put him in a favorable right, light when even the progressive left is, is starting to go after him because yeah. Tara Reid said this week uh, he should drop out. Well, doesn't it make you question her credibility, though, when she apparently is a Bernie bro or a Bernie sister? I mean, it's it's just like Kavanaugh's critics were complaining about about Blasey Ford, because you remember Blasey Ford's lawyer gave a speech, and it it was recorded. I'm not sure if she knew it was videotaped. But in that speech, she said that, you know, Dr. Ford is very concerned about Kavanaugh's vote on Roe versus Wade. Well, whoa, wait a minute. Doesn't that make people question the credibility of Blasey Ford? It doesn't mean she absolutely is a liar. Maybe she is telling the truth and would pass a polygraph. But it makes me wonder about her motivations and whether she shaded the truth and so on. let's go back. Similarly, shouldn't we wonder about Tara Reid's motivation? If she really wants Bernie and she this week is saying, oh, Joe, you should drop out. Maybe she's telling the truth, well, but maybe she just wants Bernie to replace Biden. I, I think we should be careful not to put the cart before the horse here. Think about causation, uh, you know, cause and effect. What would cause her to support a different Democratic nominee? Well, if, for example, one <laughs> Democratic nominee sexually assaulted her, I think he would, she would probably not support him. She was, she's going to support somebody else. Right. That would be probably one of the other most popular Democratic uh, candidates like It's just Bernie. a coincidence that the primary challenger to Biden, Bernie, is the one that she likes. It. All of them are challenges to Biden. Every single right. one of them. But so the, no matter, the leader in the was, clubhouse in terms of the alternative. That to, just makes it the most likely person that she would be behind statistically. If he's the leader, it means he has the most supporters. She's a supporter. So she's going to fall into the one where she's okay. most likely to fall. So it, it doesn't at all strike against me. And in the same way. So you believe Tara Reid. So what do you think Joe ought to do? I absolutely believe Tara Reid. I absolutely think... Joe Biden should drop out. I absolutely know the Democrats are not going to do that because they think it's too risky and they think that uh, Democratic voters will hold their noses and vote for the person who is less credibly and less frequently accused of sexual assault. That is Biden as opposed to Trump. Is that insane? Is it ridiculous? The fact that we live in America in 2020 and we have to choose between two people who are credibly uh, accused of sexual assault for president. It's unbelievable well, let me get your take it's on- dystopian but what are you going to do you're not going to vote for trump and you're not going to say to the democrats well if you don't change horses in midstream and right. go with somebody who's better than biden i won't vote for you at all because that's effectively a vote for trump so we just have to get well, all I- in line and do what the democratic party has decided is the best move well, which you- is 
frustrating. Well, okay, and here's the take by Linda Hirschman. I want mm-hmm. to get your thought on her. Yeah. Linda Hirschman is not exactly a household name like Gloria Steinem, but she is a longtime feminist leader in in the same vein as Gloria Steinem. Okay. She wrote an op-ed. It wasn't on the editorial page, Connor. It was actually on the opposite page. Was, the we call it the op-ed. op-ed she wrote Good an op-ed in the New York Times this week, and, and she it was titled, I Believe Tara Reid. I'm voting for Joe Biden anyway. Yeah. Then she explained in the column, Hmm. she says, I'll take one for the team. Suck it up and make the utilitarian bargain. I'm with her. It's the only move you can make. It sounds to me a lot like those deplorables who said, Donald Trump, he's a pig, but I just love his judges. That was roundly condemned by the left. Right. The progressives said, my head is exploding. You people are willing to embrace this guy who doesn't accept your religion, your principles. He's barely a Republican. And you are going to say, and, and he's a total pig in terms of being a libertine and immoral. And you hypocrites are going to cast aside all your principles just because you like his judges and his regulations and his tax policy. And so, well, isn't that exactly what this lady, Linda Hirschman, is well, doing? Not exactly, because you are choosing between two sexual predators and have no other option. You have no choice for a third candidate who's not a sexual predator to cast a meaningful vote. Whereas when you were voting for uh Trump in a primary surrounded by so 10 other people. like the difference between Charlie Manson and Squeaky Fromm? Is that what we're picking Yeah, here? basically. No, I mean, wow. but, but you see the difference between, uh, well, we're in a Democratic primary and we can easily choose, or a Republican primary, we can choose Trump or we can choose uh, another Republican who will also put the same judges into place and have the same general economic policies and all the rest, but who isn't credibly accused of sexually assaulting multiple women. And they chose Trump anyway because they liked the big middle finger to the status quo and to the liberals. Here, Democrats have no way out. They have no choice. But the Republicans who are saying, uh, uh, the Republicans who are saying, like, I, I can respect a Republican who says, well, they're both, uh, uh, they both committed sexual assault. And so now it uh, we go down, it goes, comes down to some other issue. And that's really who they're talking to, right? That's who the Republicans, by talking as much as possible about Tara Reid are are doing is they're saying, well, they're both sexual predators, so you can vote for your judges. You can vote for your economic policy. And they're appealing to Republicans. They know they're not going to convert well, any I, Democrats. I, I agree with you that Tara Reid's name is coming up. Tara Reid is mentioned a lot. Well, Tara, Tara Reid is Reed. often mentioned these mm, days. Absolutely. And Bo Biden should drop out. If he dropped out, Bernie would still win the nomination, or Bernie would win the nomination, and Bernie would still beat Trump, and the world would be a better well, place for a bunch mm, of different reasons. Not according to Linda Hirschman. She's voting for Joe Biden. Oh, anyway. yeah. I mean, I am too, but Melinda Hirschman, if you asked her, it's a should secret, Bi- secret ballot kind of you're not supposed to mention. You're right. You're should Joe Biden drop out today? She would probably say, I'm really scared. I don't know. Let's look at the numbers. Can we work it out? Can we beat Trump without him? And if if the numbers worked out to, yeah, we can, then she'd say, yeah, dr- drop so, out and choose Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren or, or Bernie or whoever So Linda else. Hirschman got kind of deep here, and you're a deep thinker, so I want your response. Mm. She said, quote, philosophers for three centuries have known there can be no call to justice in a situation of extreme scarcity. Sure. So she's excusing yes. her position. David Hume, who originated the analysis, suggested that nobody can be expected to behave justly when trying to survive a shipwreck. The great modern philosopher John Rawls called moderate scarcity, or the absence of extreme scarcity, one of the circumstances of justice. 
isn't that it, is, isn't it a little convenient to toss justice overboard by letting Biden have a pass on the ground that in this coming presidential election, progressives think we're in a shipwreck situation? I mean, don't politicos of both stripes virtually every single election say, this is the most consequential presidential election in your lifetime? Isn't the boat always sinking? So justice is always the yeah, loser? That you're absolutely right. That's a, a really good point. You're always going to... Uh, Find somebody who says that now is the greatest crisis that we're ever we've ever been in, and therefore you can toss justice overboard. But you really have to think and evaluate the size and intensity of the crisis that you're in, mm-hmm. and attempt to weigh it to decide how much justice you toss overboard. Because you're right, when you're bailing out your sinking ship, you've got to lose some of the luxuries. And in the same way that we think, well, when our country is under terrorist attack, we'll just throw some civil liberties overboard. You have to have somebody who's weighing and measuring saying, well, how much water is our ship taking in and how much weight do we need to really dump? And that's what these complicated legal tests that judges are supposed to be weighing uh, in making decisions are all about. Well, how much benefit are we getting and how much cost are we giving up? And you're right. It's it's too easy to say that uh, it's too easy to say throw the entire thing out. Absolutely. These quotes by uh, as to Hume and, and Rawls, they 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 kind of uh, they're kind of flip and they kind of uh, imply that if things are bad, uh, moderate scarcity or extreme scarcity or a shipwreck situation, well, there's just no justice. Mm-hmm. But of course, there is justice even on a shipwreck. If you've got, you know, uh, five people in a lifeboat and you can incur a 1% chance of the lifeboat uh, capsizing to bring on a sixth person, you should say the just thing to do is to bring that person on because it's not that risky. But if it's a 99% chance to capsize, they stay in the water and save five. So this is a trolley problem scaled up. We all have to make these decisions, and it's not an all or nothing proposition. Let me just add at this point, uh, there's a wonderful movie called Lifeboat starring Tallulah Bankhead and William Bendix, I think 1948. You should check it out. 1948, ladies and gentlemen. That'll be in living black <laughs> living and black white. Living black and white is the year Truman won. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. So one more point on Tara Reid. Um, a lot of folks on the left don't go with Linda Hirschman. They just flat out say, I don't believe Tara Reid. They reject her. And the irony to me, Connor, is by rejecting her, they are turning their back on the most important aspect of the Me Too movement. Me Too never stood for quote, believe all accusers. That's idiotic on its face. Me Too also never stood for, let's presume all accusers are correct. It's up to the accused to prove his innocence. That's almost as idiotic. It's a concept rejected by every element of our decision-making process in the U.S., whether it's criminal or civil law, administrative procedures, are fundamental notions of fairness. If you want to assert something that justifies your position, you've got to explain it, defend it. Once you've done that, then the other side is heard and a decision is made, but you do not presume the truth of an accusation. So if Me Too didn't stand for these things, what is its significance? One thing, recognizing that in decades past, legitimate complaints were not made because women feared retaliation, discrimination, death, or injury for accusers simply coming forward. So Me Too made it okay to come forward. It was a societal recognition that the problem is far more widespread and serious than people thought. Enter Tara Reid in 1993. She couldn't take on a powerful senator like Joe Biden. This was way before Me Too. It was exactly kind of thing Me Too was intended to solve. Yep. So now in the Me Too era, she has the courage. She comes forward. What does she get? The Me Too movement supporters reject her because they like Trump more than they like Biden more than Trump. They don't rely on the absurd positions they took in Kavanaugh. Believe all women presume a man's guilty. Instead, they just say, "No, we don't believe her." 
uh, or, okay, we believe her, but we don't care. A progressive victory and a Trump defeat is too important to lose. Exactly the position the progressives attacked when the right said, okay, Trump's a pig, but we love his judicial appointments. Doesn't this seem crazy to you? No. I, it, it, there are many people who totally— Mildly insane? There are, many, there are many people who totally discount Tara Reid for bad reasons. And these are thin reasons— based on the fact that they just want to get Joe Biden in and get Trump out, and they don't care about the intellectual justification for doing so. But there are many, many people who don't take that position. And it's important not to straw man the entire Me Too movement into uh, a bunch of people saying, I don't believe Tara Wouldn't that be straw we person? Good point. We literally just read an op-ed on the pages of the New York Times and talked about this woman saying, I believe Tara Reid, but... Mm-hmm. I'm voting for Joe Biden anyway. And because that that's the Sophie's choice she's put in, right? Well, that's the choice that we're all faced by. So you don't have to be a crazy person who discounts uh, women just because you like the men that they accuse and still come to this conclusion that you have to you know, vote for Joe Biden or that you have to just stick with, uh, stick with the Democratic Party even though they're not dumping Joe Biden, even though I think that should be a disqualifying factor for, uh, for a political party. It should also be a disqualifying factor for a political party that they would ever allow Donald Trump to become their nominee, much less the president. So both the parties obviously should be uh, blown up with one of those coming <laughs> plungers where you, you know, push it and then a cord running into a building and then, and then it all goes away. Wiley Coyote yeah. and a roadrunner. Is there an option for that? Is there a button? Is there a plunger I can push? No. And right now, the only viable option for us to take because of the structure of our political system is to go with the lesser of two evils. And so when people say, you know, I believe Tara, Tara Reid, uh, but I'm joining, voting for Joe Biden, I'm 100% on board. And I really like that position that she's taking because it's the only, I think, morally sound choice you can take because sometimes you have to compromise to get a candidate that isn't you know, a crazy evil person like Donald Trump is. When we come back, a debate over quarantine snitching. This is Too Many Lawyers. We're back with Too Many Lawyers. Let's talk about a different uh, kind of moral choice, and that's uh, snitching on quarantine breakers. Mm -hmm. So the government says, uh, you've got to respect the quarantine. We want to know if anybody's violating it. Call us on this secret uh, tip line. A bunch of people call in, 900 folks in In Missouri. St. Louis, Missouri. Called in, and they reported uh, on lockdown rule breakers. Uh, Guess what? Some guy put in a freedom of information request saying, I'd like to know the names of the people who called in and reported their neighbors. And when he got the names, he revealed them. And now these people who called their neighbors are really worried about retaliation. Yeah. How do you uh, untie this Gordian knot? So revealing people's personal information off on the internet is called doxing, D-O-X-X. Uh, doxing someone by revealing their information is sort of... Uh, it's like dangling a, a scented rag in front of a bloodhound. The internet will go after them and they will track them down and they will find their personal social media pages and they will harass them and they will send them death threats and they will do all these horrible, terrible, no good, very bad things. And that's what we are all trying to avoid. So it's pretty obvious and clear that the St. Louis, Missouri County uh, policy that the tippers 
personal information, identifying information would be subject to what this the Missouri, they call it a sunshine law. Sunshine mm-hmm. is just a category of law. It's uh, based off of and is the same as a Freedom of Information Act, FOIA, FOIA, which is a federal law. So you can ask the federal government for information that's not classified and they have to get back to you and send you that information. It's a very good law. It's a very good thing. We have it because it allows journalists to get information out of the government. And St. Louis, Missouri and many other counties have adopted similar laws called Sunshine Laws. And this guy used this Sunshine Law to go get those 900 names. So it's the fault of St. Louis County that their Sunshine Law and this this, uh, program for snitching uh, interacted in such a way that they captured personal information and then made it discoverable by a Sunshine request. That is straight up, everybody basically would agree, not the right way to do this. Because even if all these tippers were acting completely reasonably and smartly and following the law and, and saving lives by snitching. And we'll get into when you should be snitching or not or, or our opinions on it in a second. But if they were doing everything right, their personal information is too dangerous to put out there. You can't have a list of people who were, you know, uh, who, who have done something that a large group of Internet denizens will find objectionable and will try to ruin their lives, maybe physically hurt them, maybe SWAT them, send a SWAT team and say there's an active shooter in their house and then boom, somebody's dead. This mm-hmm. is dangerous stuff. Doxing is very real. And the fact that that information gets out there and it's on the list of these are the snitches, that's that's a huge mistake by St. Louis County, and they're definitely opening themselves up to civil liability as a result of it. So what about the general idea of, of uh, an obligation to report, uh, moral That's obligation, legal That's obligation? Complicated. You see uh, your neighbor next door, he's barbecuing, and you happen to glance over when he takes a, a knife out and, and uh, kills all of his barbecue guests. So <laughs> should you call the, the cops? Yeah. Should you say, yeah. uh, I really don't want to get involved. Uh, Bert, uh, he's got a temper. Yeah, or and- I don't believe, I don't like cops. Uh, I don't want to, like, There, there's a, a, a large contingent of... Uh, Would not liking of, cops really justify a, not reporting Bert slaughtering his guests? No, but there is a large contingent of the left and also the extreme right, who is anti-government, who say, uh, don't ever call the police. If you call the police, say say the left, uh, say you call the police and they show up and you and you report a crime, right? Mm-hmm. And you say, I saw somebody break into a house here. Right. And they show in my neighbor's house and they show up and because they're racist, they see your neighbor who's black and they shoot him dead because they think he's a murderer or, right. a, or, or a breaking into the house. Uh, you can't control whether that cop is racist. And by calling him, you might as well put a gun to your black neighbor's head. That's the scary well, part that, that left, the left is concerned with. So, But you're saying they, they would never call the cops? There is a contingent of people who say never call the cops on somebody else. What if somebody's po- having a psychotic Let me pose break? a hypothetical. Hit. You are super left. Yes. You never call the cops. Call you the have cop vowed I'm never. On somebody else. You, uh, you're sitting in your living room reading Das Kapital. Right, as I do. Uh, somebody <laughs> knocks on the door, and no, it no. turns out you can just tell that they're a maniac with a, a gun. They so say, you go, I'm a maniac with a gun. You go into your panic room and you feel pretty safe like Jodie Foster, yeah. but then suddenly you realize this guy, who is a John Birch Society uh, member, Naturally. and he has a, a big gun, and he knocks on your panic room door, and he says, okay, I, uh, hi, uh, Wilbur with the John Birch Society. Um, I've got a blowtorch here, and I've started it up. Brrr, it, I would say, to give you a fair warning, I'm 
13 minutes from penetrating uh, the panic room, and then I'm going to kill you. Right. You luckily, you've equipped your panic room. You've got a cell phone. Smart. Now you have you've vowed you will never call the cops. You know that uh, from the old days, you have the cops on speed dial. You just didn't delete it. Mm-hmm. You could call the cops, and you know that they'd be there in eleven or, or twelve minutes, something in that ballpark. You'd be saved, wouldn't you? Call? Of course I would. And even if I was in the left, I would. I think I've made my point. In our scenario, we're calling the cops to protect mm-hmm. ourselves, and in that scenario, we get to make the decision to say that I I am incurring the risk of interacting with the police who might be racist or reckless or high. <laughs> they on might drugs take or the side of the JBS guy. They absolutely might. But you're incurring a risk in calling the police, and but you're willing to do that because it outweighs the risk, obviously, because you're going to be murdered by the guy with the blowtorch. Right. But the danger is calling cops in real scenarios, which are murky, on other people. Say somebody's having a mental breakdown outside. They're screaming and they're yelling and they're throwing things in the street and they're naked and they're bleeding and they're doing all this crazy stuff. They're obviously having a mental breakdown. Mm -hmm. That person needs psychiatric care. Now, if you call 911, they might send a cop and end up shooting that person, black, white, or whatever. The danger is... That's a pretty wild hypothetical, though. I think my very straightforward panic room hypothetical is a much clearer example. So many people have mental crises, mental health crises in public uh, that there are specific numbers in your city that you should know to be able to call to, to get people out here like social workers and psychologists or whoever else who are trained to deal with somebody who's having a, a, a breakdown, a crisis. Do right. I know that number? Is it saved to my phone? Right. No one knows, but it should be. So life is complicated. And we'll get that for you the next episode so we have that number. But well, what about somebody who might be committing a crime? You see somebody it looks kind of like they're breaking into a house next door. Well, Do you call the cops? Or, yeah, and, and it's you, a tough one. Say you say your, your neighbor's car is gone, but somebody's uh, the lights are sort of on. It looks like a flashlight in the house. Do you call the cops or do you say... This burglar is probably going to get shot if I call the police. I'm going to let him steal a TV. The TV will get replaced, and nobody will be uh, the, uh, the wiser. My neighbor will come back and say, oh, dang. And if your neighbor comes over and says, did you see anything? And you say to him honestly, yeah, but I didn't want to call the cops and have uh, them somebody get shot. Or what if you came home, neighbor, in the middle of it, and then the cops shot you? Uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That is the position of the leftist who would say uh, – I, I'm just so afraid of any interaction with the police. I don't trust the police. Well, plus the other angle after 9-11, uh, people don't call. Uh, they don't see something and say something if it involves uh, of somebody of Middle Eastern descent True. because they're worried about being accused of being a racist. Let me That's hit you with another hypothetical. Absolutely. Uh, here's another hypothetical for you. You're driving along in the freeway about 10 o'clock at night, and you see a drunk oh, weaving like crazy. Yeah. And you know he's drunk. And the, the sign up on the you know the freeway sign says, report drunk drivers yeah. and so on. So you whip out your cell phone. All of a sudden, the car that's been weaving ahead of you, they kind of slow down, and you're actually alongside of them. I don't know what's going on. Right. And the gangbanger, gangbanger leans out of his window, and he says to you, I say, I, I couldn't help but notice you observing us, and you're about to call in the cell. I just wanted to, to let you know, I've, I've checked your license plate. I have a friend at the DMV. If you do call, I will kill every member <laughs> of your family. That's a really good uh, hypo. I, I, hate, I like this hypo. I hate to be unpleasant this evening, but I just wanted to let you know where I'm coming from. These British have a nice day, are And off he goes, continuing to weave, yeah, and bouncing off he's of drunk. cars. Yeah. Do you call the cops and no. say, "Wow, wait till you hear about no. this British gangbang"? Yeah, yeah. The British, the British mob is too scary, and I definitely <laughs> sign off. I mean, I'm, I'm not into it. I mean, that's the thing. 
the the most uh, extreme left person in the world would say, okay, I'm at the concert in Las Vegas where there's an active shooter and he's killing people. You call the cops, obviously, because mm-hmm. there's such an obvious and clear danger that people, that the police need to solve and nobody else can solve this problem. But if there's any other way out, the, the you know, there are a lot of people out there who've had bad experiences with the police in their lives or just watched, you know, everyone, like, suffer at the hands of, of, of racist policing in the U.S. for the last 150, 200 years and said, this is just not the, the, not the way to solve problems, is, is to take any path of least resistance other than somebody literally going to get killed and, and avoid the danger of the cops showing up and doing the killing themselves. This is so cool, Connor, that we have, in this podcast, solved so many really thorny moral issues, in, yeah. including, and, and I think here's where we've resolved it, Either Tara Reid is telling the truth or she isn't. Right. And whether she is or not, you should either vote for Joe Biden or not. Yeah, I think correct. those are the yeah, options yes. uh-huh. that we've laid Absolutely. Out. That's it for this week's Too Many Lawyers. But stick around for a bonus feature, Bunker Diaries, my take on the three most bizarre stories of the week. Hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you next week. I'm Royal Oaks, and this is the Bunker Diaries. Bunker Diaries. Will you be wishing a bong with your hash, sir? No controversy on this one, right? The San Francisco Department of Public Health is putting up the homeless in hotels during COVID, and yes, the city is delivering limited quantities of marijuana, tobacco, and alcohol to the residents. Well, thank God San Francisco isn't risking an overdose. Yes, let's stick with limited quantities. The rationale for the policy? Well, we don't want the homeless sneaking out of Courtyard by Marriott and hitting the streets, scrounging for contraband, and spreading the COVID. Seinfeld Legal Beef, a lawsuit about nothing. In Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, every episode, Jerry shows up in a vintage car to pick up a pal, Eddie Murphy, Steve Martin, Barack Obama, then off they go to a restaurant and chat to the delight of gawking diners and millions of viewers. A big hit, which stuck in the craw of Christian Charles, who claimed he came up with the concept for the show but was then fired. So Charles sued, but alas, a federal appeals court has just ruled his was a lawsuit about nothing. He blew the statute of limitations, they say. He claims he's headed for the Supreme Court. North Korean intrigue. Film has surfaced of Kim chatting with several of his body doubles, raising questions about whether the recent Kim sighting was for real. And in a related development, they figured out the reason for North Korea's near-famine conditions. Most of the nation's food output has been directed to fattening up the body doubles. I'm Royal Oaks with the Bunker Diaries.